Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Subray, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. On today's show, I'm joined by one of my old buddies. He's a good friend of mine. You might remember him, actually, from my second book, Leftover People, which uh, chronicled the book tour of the southeastern United States that he and I had gone on together. He's uh, an author, he's a musician, and he hosts a country radio show right now, I believe. This guy is an absolute riot. He uh, he sings, he dances, and he takes chances, man. I like to call him the Pink Chief, and his name is Mr. Christopher Long. Chief, what's up, my brother? I am in love with you, Brent Jensen. <laughs> why do you, why do you say that? It is an honor and a privilege to be speaking to you right now. Oh, you're um, a good man. You're my hero. You're a good man. You are my hero. I would never, I would not be nearly as uh, fluent as I am with chicks <laughs> if I didn't, uh, if I didn't have you to look to. Is that, is that, so, is that a good thing? Absolutely, man. All right. How about when, when you're known as the pink chief? Yep. You know, it's not necessarily a really solid calling card <laughs> for chicks, you know. But when I tell them, hey, I know Brent Jensen. You that, know, that, that's sort of a, a game changer. That's your calling card right there. That's I like a, it. You play that card, you're in. You win. That's you, right. <laughs> so listen, uh, what's going on down there in Florida, man? Just staying busy. Uh, you know, got a few projects going on. You uh, were kind enough to mention uh, uh, the new uh, radio show. Yeah. That's on uh, Real Country Radio Network, Internet Radio. It's on every Sunday night, 9 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. It's called My Country. Cool. Christopher Long. And it's uh, classic, traditional, old school country. Awesome. Uh, the, the, the stuff that I grew up on i know for a fact from touring with you that you're you have definitely been touched and moved by uh classic traditional real roots country i certainly have and actually that experience being with you driving around the southeast and listening to that music really put the music that i grew up on uh back on my radar so uh you you actually inspired me to move forward with that radio show, you put that music back on my map. So, thanks for uh, thanks for reopening my eyes again, Brent Jensen. Hey man, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, you know it because it what is passed off, what is peddled as country music these days, is certainly is not country music. Right. You know, it's 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 synthetic, twangy, poppy stuff from really, really hot guys with V-necks and cowboy hats, you know, <laughs> right. and uh, which is part of the problem with what's new country is not so much the music is that they're all pretty. All of them are pretty. And uh, that just would not have flown back in 1968. And uh, Johnny Paycheck could have been the guy that just changed the oil on your Chevy at the, the local uh, gas station. Yeah, you know? uh, it was it was authentic. Everything about the kind of music I play on my show, it's it's authentic. So that would be Johnny Paycheck. That would be Waylon and Willie. That would be Hank. That would be uh, Loretta Lynn. It's really been a lot of fun. That's my country, 9 o'clock every Sunday night, Eastern Standard Time on the Real Country Radio Network. A lot of great music, a lot of conversation. It's uh, It's good. 
Awesome. All right. So I think that might be a good segue into the list that you prepared for us today. I, I know that you've got, uh, you know, you've, you've got some country content in there. So let's, uh, let's get into that, man. What do you got? Hit me. Well, what uh, this was actually a lot of fun because once again, I was so inspired by your, your recent book. All my favorite people are broken. And, Thank you for uh, that plug. It, yeah. <laughs> and it was, well, you know, I, I joke around, you know, you and I have a great relationship where we, we joke around and, and so on. But the fact of the matter is uh, we're friends because I was a fan of your work first. And uh, so when when you publish a, a, a new book, that's that's like Christmas in my world. Thanks, brother. So uh, got to get the new Brent Jensen book. And uh, the, the current book, gosh, it's possibly my favorite just because it's even more personal. And I feel like reading that book, like I could have been the third guy on that trip that weekend when you guys are sitting around discussing your lists, your music that, that made you feel something. Right. Uh, the, the premise was great. The premise was very unique. I just felt like I was there. Thanks, or man. could have been uh, one of the guys there. And the fact that the list was not the biggest hits of the era or it wasn't your favorite songs necessarily. They were songs that made you feel something. Exactly. Now, that's what really made it cool. That's what took it from just a book of a drunken weekend of drug-crazed debauchery between <laughs> you and one of your you know, college buddies and took it to a whole different level. That's what really made it personal, where the, that personal connection between you guys and the music that overrode everything else going on. And that's what really pulled me into it. And I had already been thinking about this, you know, because I, you know, I fantasize about you all the time. And you do, you know, do you? Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm having a hot dog right now. I wonder if Brent <laughs> Jensen's having a hot dog. You know, I like cotton candy. I wonder if Brent Jensen likes cotton candy. Brent you know? Jensen is not so, having a hot dog and he doesn't like cotton candy. You suck. Then, not, Brent not, Jensen. not that I don't appreciate your, your fantasies. Sure, sure, of course. So anyway, you know, just thinking about, well, holy cow, well, if I had been hanging out with these guys, you know, what would I have thrown into that mix? And then you called me up and actually posed that question to me. And it was interesting because you always think of, oh, I, I need to get that Clapton record or that Stones record or whatever it is you're thinking about. And then you get to the record store and you draw a blank, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while and then you called me and I drew a blank. So what I did, I, I intentionally did not give it a lot of thought. You said, give me 10. And I gave you the first 10 that just popped into my head. I went with first first impression I like on, that. on all of these. So I think that really speaks to where you were going anyway. Uh, just total honesty, you know, the first initial knee-jerk reaction. That's where these 10 came from. Perfect. Uh, now, of course, like anybody else, as I thought about it, I was like, shoot, I forgot about that Journey song, and I forgot about that REO Speedwagon song. Yeah. And uh, but I went with the ones that that uh, that struck me first. How about that? Good man. No, I, I like it. I like that approach. So, uh, what do you got? Well, and this is in no particular order. Okay. Uh, it's just 10 songs that speak to me. And then I have a couple of questions for you also as a follow-up on this, Brent Jensen. Uh, I'd be happy to um, answer those questions for you. Okay. Right off, I've got a stack of the CDs actually right here in front of me so that I wouldn't forget anything. And just in a random order, 
on top of the stack is the Rolling Stones 1976 album Black Black and and Blue. Blue. Excellent choice. Now, for me, for my age and the the age of my siblings, you know, I didn't grow up with satisfaction and under my thumb and so on. The Rolling Stones that I was introduced to first, the Rolling Stones that I grew up with was the Ronnie Wood era Rolling Stones, which is better than the 60s stuff anyway. Yeah. Uh, And I would say probably Black and Blue is the Stones at their most raw but still radio friendly if that makes any sense yeah i Um, I think that that record i think they recorded that in jamaica but um i also think that that was wood's first recording with the stones just because they were trying out guitar players taylor had just left i think and there was three or four guys kind of in the mix but wood uh wood was the guy they went with anyway yeah, and I think the the legend goes that Keith Richards had to promise Rod Stewart that he would never steal Ronnie Wood, you know, which of course he did. Yeah. I love that. So, uh yeah, first first record with with Ron Wood and you know, there was a huge pop hit on this record which was Fool to Cry. Yes. Which was one of my all-time favorite Stone songs. But we're not talking about favorites. We're talking about songs that make you feel something. Exactly. And there's a difference there, correct? There's a huge difference there. Huge difference. So this was also, you mentioned that it was recorded in Jamaica. I was 13 when this record came out. Yeah. And so this really would have been my introduction to reggae. Without even knowing that I was listening to reggae, this would have been the first taste, the first time that, that reggae popped up on my radar. That was a, there was a huge reggae flavor on that record for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't realize that's what it was then. I just thought, wow, what a great sounding different Stones record. Right. So although Fool to Cry was the big pop hit, one of my all-time favorites, the song on the record that made me feel something, to me, in, in that regard, that makes it, in my world, the quintessential Stones song is the opening track called Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff, I love it. It's so raw and so loose. Yeah. I mean, you can just feel, you can smell the funk, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can smell the stank. The song smells dirty. That's right. right? It's true, man. The song smells dirty, but it looks very sexy at the same time. Yeah. And you could just see them just creating this on the fly. Yeah. It's the real deal. That's the Stones at their best, uh, in my view. And and it makes me, even though you know I was 13, it made me feel dirty and sexy. Yeah. How's that for you? Wow. You want to know, well, what did it make me feel? It made me feel as dirty and raw and gritty and sexy as uh, Keith Richards, but without the syringes. (laughs) You know, on the, on the cover of that record, black and blue, you see that picture of Richards. And uh, it reminds me of something that I'd read about Jagger saying that Richards was the original punk rocker. And, and Absolutely. you know, whoever it was, somebody said, what do you mean a punk rockers? And he said, well, th- think about it. Like, how can you really out punk Keith Richards? Which is absolutely, you can't, right? It's true. Johnny Cash might come close, but other than that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's a great album cover too. It is, it is. I would love to know what he's whispering into Jagger's ear at that point, but it was, <laughs> it would have been fun, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. 
what else you got, man? I have this strange relationship with Led Zeppelin. Okay. Okay. Led Zeppelin is one of those bands. I'm not particularly a huge Zeppelin fan. Right. You know, because they were no REO Speedwagon, but they did the best they could, you know? Okay. Um, however, of the Zeppelin song. People are going to throw a lot of rocks at you for that. Of the Zeppelin songs that I love, yeah, I love them a lot. Good. Although not being a huge Zeppelin fan, you would have to fry Zeppelin 3 from my cold, stiff fingers after I finally kick the bucket. You Great know? record. You know, all the other records from their catalog just get so much acclaim. You know, you're always hearing about first Zepp, you know, because that was the groundbreaker. Zeppelin 2, oh my gosh, it's a whole lot of love and the other, of course, you know, Zeppelin 4, you hear about that all. The, but to me, it's Zeppelin 3. And sometimes music, I think it has to do with things happening in your life. Yeah. Uh, because music is such a great transportation vehicle. It takes you back to certain places. Absolutely. Uh, and I was, uh, I was on tour working with a very famous rock band. We'll just say they were a famous platinum-selling, legendary rock band, and I worked for them on a couple of tours as an assistant. We won't mention their name. Right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> and there was an opening act. The first tour that I did with these fellas, right. there was an opening act. Uh, young kids, they were like 19, 20 years old, and they were Zep freaks. Right. So consequently, backstage at the arena, that whole tour, that whole summer, uh, I'm hearing Zeppelin three. So it was whatever it was at that time, 30 some years after it had been released, all of a sudden Zeppelin three was like the soundtrack album for me for the summer of 2006. So that just brings me back to, to that time and uh, that whole experience of being on the road for the first time and doing the arenas and living on a tour bus and five-star hotels and strippers and, you know, all that sort of thing. And the, <laughs> right. the backdrop for that whole experience was Zeppelin Three. Now, what really put it over the top, though, is that a couple of the tracks from that album were in the soundtrack to Almost Famous, right? which, as you know, is the all-time greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> okay. Gone with the Wind, if Gone with the Wind, if they had tried a little harder with that, could have been half as good as Almost <laughs> Famous. Or put in your classic of choice. They all pale in comparison to Almost Famous. Right. And Cameron Crowe's ability to place Elton John music and Almond Brothers music and Zeppelin music brings a whole new life to these songs. And some of those songs wind up many, many years later speaking to me differently than they did as a kid growing up. Right. Zeppelin 3, there's a song from that album called Tangerine. Love it. That is one of the marquee songs in Almost Famous. So we get to the summer of 2006. I'm out on tour hearing this album, Zeppelin III, over and over. And because so much of what was going on mirrored the movie Almost Famous, we're watching Almost Famous on the bus and backstage, yada, yada. All this stuff all sort of came together in 2006, Zeppelin III, and then the feature track being Tangerine. The heavy rock 
was not was not Zeppelin at their best. Uh, the blues stuff that they did was not Zeppelin at their best. Zeppelin at the best is when they were breaking out the acoustic guitars and the mandolins and that sort of thing where it sounded like, you know, Robert Plant was dancing merrily through the country meadows in purple tights and, you know, little Mary Pixies floating around. You know, that was that was Zeppelin at, at their best. Tangerine, I think, is is the absolute best thumbnail snapshot of Led Zeppelin musically at their best. Gotcha. So there's a very heavy theme of nostalgia involved there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it always sounds fresh and new to me. Yeah. You know, that whole album is not a dated record at all. No, no, I agree. I agree. That's one of my favorites, too. I like that. I like physical graffiti as well. But, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin 3 is definitely one of my favorites. And, and, and maybe it's because, you know, I always kind of like to go against the grain. You know, that's probably, you know, that one and maybe presence or, you know, but but at least <laughs> at least it wasn't Coda. You know. Yeah. Well, Coda, I think, was just kind of cobbled together after Bonham yeah, passed that away. Wasn't, right? That wasn't a real Zeppelin record. But yeah. if they were going to throw something together at the, the tail end to cash in one more time, it would have been nice for it to have been a little more, you know, engaging than that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But the, yeah, Zeppelin, Tangerine, it makes me feel something. It's a beautiful thing. Awesome. What else you got, brother? I've got one of your favorites. Really? And here again, I've got to give you credit. The Black Crows. Oh, yeah. Black Crows is one of those bands. I got them right out of the box. When that first record hit, Shake Your Money Maker, I just got it. Yeah. You know, but at that first record was uh, a little more on the, the pop side, a little Stonesy flavored, a little Rod Stewart flavored. Yeah. Uh, but it was very radio friendly. I don't mean commercial in a in a, a Bieber Timberlake way, but you know, in 1990, 1991, it was very radio friendly stuff. Yeah. I really only recognized that when the first record was pinned against the second record. Right. That was the payoff. Their second album, The Southern Harmony and Musical Companion, came out in 1992. This one, the second Crows record, that was dirt. That was a dirty, stinky. It was like, holy crap, Black Crows aren't the stone the black crows are the freaking almond brothers yeah you know that's when the real and, and i don't say that comparing them to to the almond brothers per se you know that they're a, a knockoff or whatever what i mean by that is by the time the second record came around they were really able to i think express themselves a little more than they could on the first record and and you and i spent some time listening to Black Crows, when, when we were on tour together, when we did our book tour in Georgia, in 2013, I mean, what better way to be traveling through the deep South, uh, That's right. Tennessee, uh, Georgia, Florida, what better soundtrack is there than the Black Crows? Exactly. And mo more specifically, the, the second album. So it was after that tour I hadn't really thought about the Black Crows a lot in recent years, but when we went out and did our tour a couple of years ago, that experience put the Black Crows back on my map again, but this time they never fell off. It's, it's difficult to say because I love so much of their music, picking that best Crows record, but I really think it's got to be the second one. And the standout track, which I think is 
possibly the strongest track of their catalog right. is on that record called Sometimes Salvation. Love it. Yeah, right now I, I buy this record. I, in 1992, there were still record stores. So I rush out to the record store and buy this record the first day that it comes out. You see this title and a song called Sometimes Salvation. The first impression I have is, oh, well, this is going to be some sort of a gospel flavored you know, uh, with the choir background and, and that sort of thing. And put the record on and listen to it. And it's like, wow, this sounds like a drug song, <laughs> you know? And then I'm looking at the lyrics and it's like, this is either a drug song or it's about a car. You know, there's just enough ambiguity <laughs> in there. It's like the way it sounds, I think this is a drug song. <laughs> I listen to that song and I've never done heroin, but I think I know what it's going to feel like just listening to that song, <laughs> you know, I can, it's like as the, the needle hits the groove, I can feel that needle like going into my vein. Yeah. It's very ugly. It's very, it's kind of painful. It's not pretty. Mm -hmm. It's not a pretty song. It's not a fun song, but what a powerful song. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I absolutely agree. I think that for me, the Crows is probably the most underrated band of you know, the last, I would say, 30 years. Fantastic group. Holy cow, those first five records, man. It's just underrated. I agree with you. And uh, as far as American bands uh, yeah. in the last, you know, 25 years or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Gross. And I mean, I, I've detoxed before. You know, I, I know what it's like to try to get clean off drugs. Right. That feeling of being pill sick and just lying in bed with the shakes and vomiting yeah. and that's what that black crow song makes me feel wow how about that that is uh that I, song I, is so real it makes me feel like i'm shaking and vomiting in bed going through <laughs> detox might not be the intended outcome for the crows i think you should probably write your own book dude what do you think maybe i think, you should. I think you've got a book in you i know that you've written books but i think you should write a book about that so the hit parade continues what else and, you got? Uh, the next, the next. After we've come through the Stones and 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 Black Crows and 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 Zeppelin, uh, a total left hand turn. Because uh, in in recent years, some things have changed in my life, and uh, some of the things that I pursued, some of the things that I was after in life, some of the things that were important to me uh, years ago, no longer are important anymore. Right. And, and I'm uh, I'm a faith guy. You know, I'm a Jesus guy. Uh, I'm still really fun. Uh, I'm a very sharp dresser. <laughs> I and, can vouch and for that. And yeah, and and uh, I'm kind of sexy, you know. And uh, I mean, I'd do me, wouldn't you? <laughs> hey, man, this is a PG show, dude. Okay, it's a family anyway, show. But uh, you Try know, to keep it clean. But I'm a Jesus guy, and I think a lot of people think that you know, when you you move into faith, you drop that Jesus card, that all of a sudden you become. You know, one of those one of those weird people on TV, you know, as I was sort of moving into a new phase in my life, uh, I discovered a singer songwriter out of Springfield, Missouri. Right. And her name is Sarah Groves. OK. And she is one of the iconic leading names in. Gosh, I hate saying these words because it just sounds so horrible. Right. But she's one of the the leading names in a contemporary Christian singer songwriter okay. genre. And I hate saying that because so much of the current contemporary Christian music is as appealing as a, a stale prune sandwich. Yeah. You know. But 
there are a few artists that I've discovered in recent years that are just absolutely incredible. And I would say to put things in a perspective that, say, maybe non-believers, your typical sort of rock and roller would understand. In my world, Sarah Groves would be sort of the, the Christian version of Joni Mitchell. Oh, wow. That's if a bold that, statement. I, I have, I, I've heard Sarah Groves, and I actually like her music. And I, you know, to be honest, I had no idea that she was uh, a faith-based woman. Yeah, it's just, just very, here again, very rootsy, yeah. very organic. Yeah, it's, it's great. Real deal. Right. And when she's singing these songs, she's singing from the heart. She is as real as the Black Crows on their record we were just talking about. Right. You know, when I was first transitioning from what I would call uh, the darkness of my past uh -huh. into the light of my present and future, I discovered Sarah Groves. Okay. And she had a record that came out in 2004 that I discovered several years later, uh, and it was an album called All Right Here. And the opening song on that record is called Less Like Scars. And for where I was at that time, just discovering her, it was as if she was speaking directly at me. Right. That song gives me peace. It makes me feel hope for the future and where I'm headed now and fills me with gratitude to no longer be the douche that I used to be. <laughs> That's powerful stuff, man. All right. And that's Sarah Groves. I give Sarah Groves all that credit. Okay. Listen, you've got well, how many songs have you got? Because we probably have time for about three more. Three more. Well, I think then we absolutely got to move to Elton John. All right. Elton John, he's written a few hits. He has in his time. Him and the Bernie Toppin guy, they had a snappy little partnership for a little while. They certainly did. And they wrote a lot of hits. Their best stuff. Obviously, in my mind, especially being a Cameron Crowe fan, uh, watching those movies, you discover, hey, you know what? Benny and the Jets wasn't necessarily his best work. Right. It's some of those side two, track four kind of songs. The deep cuts. That were Elton John's and, 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 and Toppin's best stuff. Uh, 1974. Uh, he hasn't quite peaked yet, but he's coming close to it. He, Elton John releases this record called Caribou, and it's got these two iconic, enormous hits, uh, The Bitch is Back and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Right. Uh, but the final song on this album, Caribou, yeah. it's a simple song. It's vocal and piano, and it's a song called Ticking. Okay. And it's about a guy who goes crazy. Uh, I believe this would have happened in the early 70s. A guy in New York who goes crazy. Nobody noticed that he was nuts. Right. And he goes postal. And I don't even know if it's a true story. I don't even care if it's a true story. Right. Because it makes me feel like it's a real story. It shows me a movie. It's a seven-minute song. It could have right. been a, 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 a Pacino movie from 72, and it's a, a seven-minute uh, music version of that. But it made me feel like I was right there. Right. It made me feel like I was one of this guy's hostages at the Chinese restaurant. Uh, I feel the doom. They paint this beautiful portrait where you feel all these different things going on. That's Elton John's the album, Caribou, You Gotta Hear Ticking. All right. How about that? I will check it out. I'm not familiar. 
and uh, we'll throw maybe one more out for you. Is that okay? Sure, man. What do you got? Now, this is interesting because not only is it actually my favorite song, but it's the one that makes me feel something. Okay. And, of course, what else could it be? The greatest song of all time, which, as everybody knows, is Todd Rundgren's Hello, It's Me. Oh, nice track. I like that tune. you got to love that. Todd Rundgren, especially 1973, 72, 73, the album Something Anything, double record comes out. Yeah, he had done had his run with uh, Naz and was becoming the go-to boy, uh, sort of like the, the Butch Walker of the early 70s. He was the producer guy. He was the songwriter guy. He was freaking gorgeous. He looked like he was hot as Carly Simon. Flatter chest, but otherwise had the same sizzle. Had the same sizzle, it, and he looked even better in the makeup than Carly Sun. But he had the whole glam thing going on. He had the singer songwriter, frail, pale, the long hair, yep. and that album, something, anything, really was his definitive work. Uh, the iconic albums that he has produced, Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell, yeah. uh, another one of my favorite albums from The Tubes, Remote Control, uh, stuff that a Canadian band, Pursuit of Happiness, their first album. Todd really? I didn't oh, know man. that. Are you kidding me? Pursuit of Happiness, baby. Todd Rundgren, their wow. first album, Love Junk. How do you know about that band? They're Toronto you, band. Dude, Pursuit of Happiness are the biggest dead serious fans Come on, on the planet. Moberg? Yeah, Moberg loves Dead Serious, dude. Listen, for wow. people listening to this, they don't know what we're talking about. I was in a band. I've been in a band off and on for 30 years called Dead Serious. Yeah. Very, uh, very well known, we'll say here, down in, in Florida. And uh, in our day, when we were hot, when we were about to get signed, you know, we were that next band right behind Marilyn Manson. Uh, we, we opened for everybody. If anybody that was still coming up bands that had just gotten signed they're just coming out on their first tour and they're coming through florida chances are dead serious was their opening act 1989 pursuit of happiness possibly the third greatest rock band of all time <laughs> in my view they come into florida dead serious opens for them yeah and uh we were in our prime a pursuit of happiness comes on after the first song Mo Berg steps up to the mic and he says, we just want to take this opportunity and thank Dead Serious for opening for us tonight and coming out and blowing us off the stage. Wow. Bam. Wow. Mo Berg and I are still Facebook friends. Is that right? Eh? He's, Absolutely. Uh, I, I think he still lives in Toronto. You might see him walking around on, uh, on Queen I'm Street. I'm trying to get him to, I've, I've got a, a, a couple of projects I'm working on right now. I would, I'm trying to get him to produce me. That would be great. I'm going to look I'll him go, up. I'll go up to Toronto and work with Moberg. You know what? We're, we're going to get him on this show. We're going to talk about I'm an adult now. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. And ask him about Dead Serious. I'm going to, for sure. He will, he will confirm what I have just told you. I'm going to do that. So anyway, Todd Rundgren. Yeah, Todd Rundgren produced that, that Pursuit of Happiness record. Wow. Going back to 72, he had uh, something, anything, Hello, It's Me. It's it's a love song. It's a breakup song. It's a I don't know where we are in this relationship song, but it makes me feel like I'm forever in 1974. Yes. Which, as you know, nothing bad happened in the 70s. <laughs> Even stage four cancer wasn't quite so bad because it was the 70s. That's you know? right. Hello, It's Me makes me feel like I'm 12, but it made me feel like I was 12 wishing that I was 26. I had no I idea that you liked that song that, that much. 
I was 12 going, man, I wish I could be like 24, 25 rock dude like Todd Rundgren and like <laughs> chicks and like be wondering if we're going to be sleeping over and all that. It, Todd Rundgren, man, 74. Hello, it's me. It makes me feel young still. It makes me feel I can smell shag carpet when I hear that song. <laughs> it's Hello, it's me, Todd Rundgren. Greatest song ever. How's that for an endorsement? You should write him a letter. I I wish I could, but after that restraining order in '78, I don't know if the if statute of limitations is. You know, I don't know where we stand on that. Yeah, you might want to be hey, careful. Can I with ask that. you a question? Of course, you can. Uh, my girlfriend has really kind of honed in on this topic. All right. And she was asking me questions. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty good because yeah. uh, I asked her. I said, "Well, you know what? What song is it that makes you feel something?" Uh, it was a U two song. I, what is it? One love is the name of that one. song. Is it one? Uh, is it one love or one? Is it just called one? One. Thank you. All right. So one one is her her song, and I just had a U two uh, playlist going the other day. Right. And she happened to come through the the dining room where I was you know, doing some work, and she goes, "That's it. That's my song right there. You want to know the song that makes me feel something? Mm-hmm. That's the one." But I bring that up only because she then followed up with the question. She said, is it possible for a song to make you feel something when you're 15 and it comes out and like, yeah, I love this. But then when you're 35, you hate it because it makes you feel something completely different. It's an interesting question. But so so look at it this way. So when you're 15. Or also, can it make you feel something at one point and then make you feel nothing later? No, I don't think so. I think that you hold on to that stuff. It's it's um it's like a totem, you know, and it's it's emblematic of your youth. And I think that the very concept of nostalgia um, kind of hinges on that. And music is a huge, huge part of that. Well, let me ask you this then, sure. uh, because you you're my my guru. Can a song not make you feel something then when you're 18, but all of a sudden make you feel something when you're 35, 40, 50? Yeah, I think so. It it can work the other way around. I think so. But look at it this way. I mean, when you're a kid, you're seeking out, you know, those sensations, right? And I think that you're a little bit more attuned to music in that way. And you're a little bit more opened up and a little bit more receptive. And the sensations that you feel are, are, are thus that much stronger. So when you're older, you know, there's so much other stuff going on and, and, and it, it might take on a bit of a peripheral flavor. And I don't think that the, the feeling would be as intense because when you're a kid, you are so dialed into music, you know? Sure. Um, so I think, I, I think it's possible, but I, I, I think that you just feel it in a different way. Well, I was just really alarmed because I never question you about anything. <laughs> and then here, all of a sudden, here's my chick all of a sudden with questions for Brent Jensen. She, like, did she call me out? Wow. Wow. Well, no, but I think she was she was bold enough to step up to the plate and ask for clarification. I, I think it's... which I would never do because then you might you know think that I was lame. I would, and I would I'd have to jump off the roof if, <laughs> if you know if I ever lost my mystique with you. You know, of course, I you am would. the pink chief. You know, you are. But I will say so next time. Next time there's a weekend getaway. Yeah, you definitely should probably invite my girlfriend up because she'll be able to offer. You know, bring a whole new dynamic to the dialogue. I will do that. Send her, send her a number along, and I'll give her a shout. How about that? You don't want me to hang around, but you definitely <laughs> want her to pop up, though. 
I didn't want to say anything. I mean, how nightmarish is just the last 45 minutes? Been? Can you imagine having to spend a weekend with me? I didn't want to say anything. Exactly. It would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to spend a weekend with me. <laughs> you played a lot of mean jokes on me when we were on tour. Like the like the come on in game? Yeah. And then I had to read about it in the book. So now your, your fans worldwide... That's right. you know, they know my shame. A lot, Your readers worldwide know my shame. A lot of people talk to me about the come on in game and, and they got a huge charge out of that reading about it in the book. That's great. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Do it again. How's Flem? Is Flem out of jail yet? Fleming is still in jail currently. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're working on, on getting him out. Yeah. Yeah. He's, we need to get him a, a better attorney. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be fine though. He's making friends in jail. He'll be okay. Now, I heard that you were just cast as the new host of uh, the next season of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Is that public knowledge? I don't know. I may wow. have just let the, the, the cat out of the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't supposed to talk about that yet. but uh... I'd actually get cable again if that was the case. <laughs> well, you get that gig, I'm watching. Call up your uh, cable provider. It's What's happening. going on with, your, with you, dude? When's the fourth book coming? Uh, the fourth book is probably coming in the next couple of years. I'm fooling around with that now, and 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 we'll see. It might be kind of a uh, an extension of of all my favorite people are broken, where yeah. you know I travel around and and do the same exercise of going through your playlist and songs that make you feel something with you, you know, which yeah. is basically what this show is. But you know, maybe maybe there's a book in there somewhere. Well, that's that's what you do for me better than anybody is that your your book present this this great dialogue that draws the readers directly in. You can't read one of your books and feel like an outsider. You know, even even Sudbury. You read Sudbury, you are at Records on Wheels. Yeah. That book, your first book, transports your readers right into that record store with you. Thanks, so man. You're side you're side by side looking at accept and raven records and, yeah. and so on and and you know with with the second book that brought the readers into the minivan and on tour with us yeah and uh, the the same with with all my favorite people are broken you feel like you're in that little chalet for the weekend you know uh you bring your your readers in and it's a place that as a reader, we want to be, we want to be pulled into your story. We want to be hanging out with you guys, you know, because it's going to be a party. I appreciate that, man. If Thank Brent, you. If Brent Jensen is there, it's going to be a party and I want to be <laughs> on the guest list. You will always yeah. have a seat at my yeah. table, sir. Yeah. So it's no question. Uh, I'd be very, uh, I'm very eager to see where, where you go next with, uh, with your next book, but it looks like you've been, uh, uh, very, very successful with your first three, and then I'm I'm honored and and privileged and humbled to know you and to be able to uh, claim you as one of my best friends. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much. All right, listen, man, it's been a it's been a blast talking to you as usual. Come see me in Florida. Yes, I will. I'll come see Fun. you and and all the other crazy characters down there. I will definitely do that. Don't be lame. Come back and see me. I will not. All right, dude. Okay, brother. Listen, thanks a lot Thank for joining you. me today. Appreciate your time. And uh, all right, man. Ciao. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my guest, Chris Long. Till next time. Take care. Bye.